And I'm coming back home to you And I'm coming back home to you I'm coming back home I'm coming back home to you I'm coming back home I'm coming back home Hello, friends. How we doing? Let's try that again. How we doing? All right. I want to welcome everyone this morning. If this is your first time, man, we're glad you're here. Uh, for everyone joining online or via podcast, man, thanks for tuning in. And to all our campuses, the tribes have yet again assembled for tribal council. I love it, love it, love it. Now, you may be wondering who the new face is. Uh, my name is Jake Wood. Here's a picture of my family. My uh, it's coming, not this videotape, but it, <laughs> there it is. My beautiful wife of 19 years, just last week we celebrated. Yeah, you can clap on that, that's all right. My uh, two daughters and my two, two sons, and uh, me and my wife, we've been doing ministry around the U.S. for 20 plus years now, and we're honored to call Jubilee our home now. Amen. We've been on staff for a little over six months, and man, I am so pumped to be able to teach from the text this morning. So I got a lot of material I want to get through in a short amount of time, so if you don't mind, we're just going to dive right in. Sound good? Let's do it. Okay, turn to the person next to you and say, are you ready? <laughs> Go ahead and grab your Bibles if you have it, and turn to 2 Kings chapter 13. Last week, we started a brand new series called Why? And Pastor DJ opened us up and he answered the question, talked about why marriage? Uh, this week, I've been asked to talk about why more. Why kids? Why expand more? And let's just be real, Jubilee, especially, come on, all the married folks. Marriage is hard, isn't it? <laughs> it's hard just to coexist with another person and to make this thing right, isn't it? Why would you add anything on top of that? Why would you have kids? Why would you expand that even further? Now, here's the deal. I could stand up here and I'd give you a nice five-point message on why children are a blessing, okay? Um, we'd probably find out in nine months if it worked, right? <laughs> but here's the truth. It, the more I studied this, the more I've lived it, the more I've come to understand that there's a principle, a godly principle that's running underneath this. And if we can understand this principle, we'll have a greater understanding of the whole. Okay, it's like getting in a car and driving a car. You can get in and learn how to turn the wheel and function that and do just fine. But if you get out of the car, pop the hood and learn how an engine works, you get a greater understanding of all of it, don't you? Your experience enhanced uh, just a little bit more. And here's the thing. The principle is the principle. Okay, so you can walk away here and you can say, listen, uh, great message, but I totally disagree. That's fine. It doesn't change the fact that principle is the principle. Come on. 
Just like if I sat down with you and I said, explain the law of gravity. And you said, listen, that's just utterly preposterous. If you ran out and jumped off a six-story building, you'd learn real quick that the principle is still the principle. Hello? And, the, and the, this principle, it, it doesn't change as well, okay? It, it, if we can understand this, listen, listen, it has greater implications than just the idea of kids being a blessing in our life. Are you ready for this? Do you want to go further? Yes. All right. Second Kings chapter 13. Go ahead and stick your finger in there. We're going to come back to this in a little bit. And while you got that locked in, I want to ask you and all the campuses by show of hands, who here has been to Las Vegas, Nevada? Come on. Yeah. Some Las Vegas fans. All right. All right. Let's, let's narrow this down. I knew there'd be quite a bit of us, but let's narrow it down a little more. How many of you here have been to Pahrump, Nevada? Show of hands. <laughs> Just a couple. People are like, Pahrump? I didn't even know that was a town there, okay? All right. Let, let's hone this in real close now. How many of you have either met or heard of a guy by the name of Ronald Wayne from Pahrump, Nevada. Yes, no one, because I just made him up. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, the reason you don't know Ronald Wayne is because he did something in his life that was pretty crazy. In fact, I'd say this. He's probably the most famous person that you've never heard of before. And how many of you have heard of Apple computers? Of course. Most of us probably have a device in our pocket or purse as we're, as we're here right now. And if I were to ask you, who is the founder of Apple Computers? Most of us would spit back, Steve? Jobs. Right, everyone, most people know that. But only a few couple Apple geeks would be able to say, no, there's actually two co-founders. And the other guy, his name is Wozniak, or he goes by Woz, sometimes you heard. But even what most Apple geeks don't know is there is actually a third co-founder. And it's Ronald Wayne from Pahrump, Nevada. Now, the reason you've probably never heard of Ronald Wayne is because back in 1976, he invested in Apple computers, and the very same week he invested, he decided, man, this isn't going anywhere, and he sold his 10% of Apple computers, forget this, $800. People say today, his 10%, had he hung on to it, would be worth about $35 billion dollars. <laughs> now, if you were to travel to Pahrump, Nevada and sit down and have a conversation with Ronald Wayne and ask him point blank, Ron, are you happy? My guess would he'd probably say, yeah. Overall, I'm happy. I've had kids and grandkids and I've lived a good life. I'd say I'm happy. But you and I both know that in the back of his mind, just like in the back of ours, he's probably thinking, man, did I miss out on something big, right? Now, I know my theology is off on this, so please don't email me. <laughs> but I can't help but wonder if one day when I stand before the Father and I'm watching a highlight of my life, I might not think, Man, did I miss out on something more God wanted to do in my life. What is that? Why, why do we have a propensity to do that? You see, I know I can say this pretty confidently because I know this first part of the principle. Are you ready for this? It's the principle I call the principle of more. Say that back with me. The principle of more. 
And here's the first part of it if you want to get this. Write this down. Get it in your heart. Get it in your soul. It's this. God wants more for everyone. Let me say that again. God wants more for everyone. For everyone. It's just who he is. It's, it's like you read the text, you see it littered all over the place. He's just not satisfied with just giving you a little. He wants, this is why he says, even your enemies, pray for your enemies, right? Uh, pray for those who persecute. Like, it's just, it's everyone. He wants everyone to have more. This is why Paul can say, you know, it doesn't matter if I'm beaten or, or stoned or whipped. It doesn't matter because I know God wants more for me. It's part of this principle that God wants more. But you want to know what it's like, church? It's like this glass here. Imagine this is us as a Christ follower. You remember that day you made a decision to follow Christ? You remember how exciting and new that was? Right? And our prayers consisted of like, God, more of you. <laughs> remember that? God said, more of you. We knew all the songs, right? Just, God, fill us up. And God's on the other end. He's like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I love this. I'm going to do it. And he begins to fill us up. And it's all new and it's exciting. And our capacity begins to, to stretch and we're growing. But then it gets a little uncomfortable, maybe embarrassing. It gets tiring. And we get up to the top and we go, whoa, 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 whoa. Stop. Just hold on. Right there is good. Do you know what I'm talking about? What is that? What is that about us that just wants to stop right when God wants to do more in our life? Because he wants more for everyone, for you and for me. Most of you saw a picture of my son, uh, my two sons, and you might have been wondering like, Man, he looks a lot like his kids. <laughs> um, I tell him all the time, I point to this mole, and I go, this is your dad's real skin color. This is just the birthmark. <laughs> In case you're wondering, we, we adopted our two boys. Uh, they're from Haiti. It was about four years ago that they came home. And the process wasn't an overnight thing. Um, it was quite extensive. In fact, it took a little over three years uh, for us to actually uh, get them. And towards the end of that process, one of the things uh, we had to do was fly over to Haiti to take care of some of the last details that needed to happen. And we thought, while we're down there, let's spend some time with our two boys, their brothers. And uh, so we said, we'll spend you know, five or six days with them, which was hard because they didn't know really any English, just like Yes, no, and Justin Bieber. <laughs> Literally, like, no, I'm not lying. <laughs> and so we're trying to just, you know, communicate and, and try and do this thing. And, and you know, it, they're active, man. How many of you have boys? You know, like, and these boys, are, they didn't have TV. They didn't have anything. So it was just like, sun comes up, let's go, right, until sundown. And we were worn. Like, we started getting tired. And towards the end of the time that we were there, uh, I was with my oldest son, and he didn't get his way on something that he wanted really bad. And he flips out. Now, I've seen temper tantrums before. I've, de I've seen demon-possessed people before, okay? None of it compared to what I saw there. 
He loses it. I mean, he's screaming. He's crying. His eyes are puffed up. He's grabbing things in the room, and he's throwing them everywhere. He's flailing his body on the ground, banging his head up against the concrete wall and floor. And I'm standing back, and the only thing I could do in the situation that I was was grab him by the shoulders, walk him over to the corner, sit him down, and say, no. And I would sit back, and a second later, he would flip out again and grab things and throw them down and, and just go blind. And I'd grab his shoulders, and I'd walk him over, and I'd sit him down, and I'd say, no, son. And he would do it again. And the cycle continued, church. I'm not lying. This went on for an hour and a half. My wife, three stories down, could hear it all happening. And I'm sitting there near the end of this time, and one last time I sit him down, and I stand back, and he looks at me with eyes full of tears, more hate than I've seen in anyone's face from that day since. And he tells me without saying a word, church, I hate you. All the excitement and all the the, you know, hubbub of bringing home two orphan boys, all the, the, the blessing of expanding my family, all the joy of having boys in my life. Now, it was gone like that. Can I be real with you guys? I'm sitting there in that spot. And I'm ashamed to say this, but I said, God... I think we're making a huge mistake. I can't do this. We can't do this. What was I thinking? This has the potential to ruin my family. It has the potential to ruin ministry. It's so many of these thoughts are running through my mind. Have you ever been in that spot before? Not specifically that, but have you ever been in a place spiritually where, where you're, you feel it in your bones? You're on the brink of something big. God is doing something. He's stirring something in your heart and you feel it's just on the other side, just a bit. And right as you get there, there's that something that whispers in our ear or begins to talk to us and we go, whoa, whoa, stop. I, I don't know if I wanna move forward anymore. I don't know... This is comfortable right now. And get this, listen to this. This is the part of this. Is if I walked away there, it's not a sin. It doesn't ruin me. And that's the part of the, the trick of this is, is I, 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 could, I could walk away and it wouldn't affect me anymore. But there I am. What is it about us that wants to stop short right on the edge of God doing something big? Do you know what I'm talking about, church? Am I the only one that's been through this? Right? I'll give you a name for it because I've labeled it. It's what I call the resistance. You say, what is the resistance? The resistance is going on a missions trip. It's coming back from Israel, all fired up with a new passion to love God in a new way, only to see a couple weeks later going back to the normal. 
It's having a new, new fire to wake up early and get into the text and read and learn about God only for another couple days just going, ah, I like my sleep. <laughs> it's coming, it's leaving a Sunday morning service where God's challenged you. It's reading a book where that got you fired up and you heard God's voice say, come on, man, I got more for you. And then another month, two later, it's back to business as usual. Welcome the resistance. It's real, isn't it? If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I've listed a couple items that, that can sometimes define this resistance. Uh, the first thing is the culture. If you call yourself a Christ follower, you automatically are living countercultural to the world that we live in. The world says, you know, hey, you, you want to get married? You should see if you're sexually compatible first. That just makes sense, okay? And you, yeah, I guess kind of makes sense. God says no. God says covenant first, right? It's countercultural. The resistance comes in and goes, whoa, that is, that's different. I don't, do you really want to step into that? Do you really want to move forward to that? Or how about this? It doesn't make sense. Have you ever read your Bible and been like, what is that? <laughs> this doesn't, why would God say, uh, this doesn't make sense. Or, or you feel like God's moving you forward in a, in a certain direction. And, and it, to you, you're just like, it doesn't, this doesn't make sense. It doesn't comprehend. Why would God do it this way? I never pictured this path. Welcome the resistance. Or how about this? It's embarrassing, <laughs> right? It's embarrassing sometimes. You feel that push for more, and you're like, dude, uh, you don't have to be that passionate about God. Like, we're all on the same boat here. Sharing your faith with your coworkers, they're gonna think you're weird, man. <laughs> it can be embarrassing. Welcome the resistance. Or how about this? We think the story's over. <laughs> right? We're like, man, I, I thought this storyline we dealt with a long time ago. We're still... Right? I prayed for this cancer. God healed me of the cancer. It was gone. It's back? What are you talking about? I thought we were done with that. I don't know if I have it in me to move forward. Welcome the resistance. Or how about this one? There was no rule, requirement, or clear instruction. <laughs> I mean, you know, like we're so, we're, <laughs> I love it because we're always like, God, if you would just tell me this, do this and this, I would just do this and this. What we're really asking for is, God, I want religion. Just give me a list, right? But God doesn't always give clear instruction. Can I, can I give you something? This one's for free for everyone, okay? God never gives green lights. He only gives red lights. Now think about this. Most of us, we sit on the, the starting line waiting for, God, just give me a green light. Just give me a green light. I'll move forward. And he's like, I'm not going to give you a green light. Just go. And if it's not me, I'll give you the red light. I'll shut it down. I'll let you know. But all of us were just, all right, God, I'm ready. I'm ready. Whenever you give me, come on. There's not always clear instruction. The resistance can whisper that. What are you doing? Why are you moving forward with that? God never told you necessarily to do that. Or how about this one? <laughs> it's just hard. It's hard. It's hard work. Right? Fasting, practicing spiritual disciplines, waking. Do you know what I'm talking about, church? It can just be hard. Welcome the resistance. 
Now, I wanna tell you the story of two kings, and, and we're gonna look at these two kings, and as we're looking at them, I want you to see if you can hear that voice of the resistance, just like in your life, in my life sometimes, we can hear that whispering in our ear. And I wanna see how these two kings react to both the resistance there and how their lives differ from it. So are you ready for this? Second Kings chapter 13, you're there, turn it to there. We're gonna look at the first king, his name is Joash. You might hear him sometimes called Jehoash, probably because there was another king that ruled in the southern kingdom by the name of Joash. So you know, they were like, well, let's not confuse him. But uh, Joash is an interesting character because we really don't get a lot of narrative on his story, just this one kind of rather odd story. Have you ever read a weird story in the Bible? <laughs> Oh, oh man, I'm the only one, right? You're all holy, right? I read sometimes, I'm like, this is weird. Like, this is just a strange, I must have been, I need to be there, I guess. <laughs> this is one of those stories, okay? It seems kind of odd, it's very brief, but it has a lot to tell us about this idea of the principle of more, okay? And here's the thing, here's the thing, you gotta get this, because as we read this, you're gonna see the resistance come in, and you're gonna see it loud and clear, and part of the principle that we're learning is God wants more for everyone. Here's the second part, though. You got to get this. The greater the resistance, the greater the more. Let me say that again for those of you that are still waiting for the Mountain Dew to kick in, okay? The greater the resistance, the greater the more. This is why guys in the Bible, you, you, you're like, how could they endure that stuff? That's crazy, shipwrecked. It's because they know this principle's at work. The greater the resistance, the greater the more. All right, so Joash, we read this in chapter 13, and see if you see this all in play coming out, all right? Now, when Elisha had fallen sick with the illness of which he was to die, Joash, king of Israel, went down to him and he wept before him, crying, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. See the exclamation point? So I had to emphasize. And Elisha said to him, take a bow and arrows, okay? So he took bow and arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, draw the bow, and he drew it. And Elisha laid his hands on the king's hands, and he said, open the windows eastward, and he opened it. Next slide. Then Elisha said, shoot, and he shot. And he said, the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Syria, for you shall fight the Syrians in Afek until you've made an end to them. Yeah. And then he said, his story continues, take the arrows. And he took them, and he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground with them. And he struck how many times? Three times. And then what did he do? He stopped. Then the man was angry. The man of God was angry with him and he said, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck down Syria until you had made an end of it. But now you will strike down Syria only how many times? Three. Times. Three. All right, give you a little context here. Joash, his, he, he's the northern king, okay, of the kingdom of Israel. And at this time, his army's depleted. A no, an even northern kingdom, Syrian, is coming down and is just attacking, ready to annihilate him. He's lost chariots, he's lost horsemen, he's lost armor and battle, and he is at its last ditch effort here, okay? He knows he needs something more from God in this situation. He needs supernatural something. So he goes to this guy named Elisha. Now, some of you know Elisha is a prophet of God. And you say, what's a prophet of God? Someone who speaks on God's behalf. He says, I need to see this, this prophet and I need God to intervene here. Now here's the problem or the only issue is Elisha at this time of the story, 
He's been retired. We haven't heard from him in like 50 years. Most historians will say he's about 70 years old here. And this is the last story really that we hear from Elisha. So you know he's pretty desperate if he's going to see a dying prophet. And he shows up and what's the first thing he does? He goes, my father, my father, the horsemen and the chariots. What is that? (laughs) That's a rather odd greeting, isn't it? There's actually two things going on here. We don't have time to cover the one in, but on the, the main part is this. He's just uh, regurgitating and, and giving back what the current cultural news is saying. I got no chariots. I got no horsemen. It's bad. I'm gonna, we're going to die. Who just entered the room? The resistance. The resistance. Begins whispering. Here's this, what are you gonna do? So what does Elisha do? I love it. He doesn't sit down, he's like, okay, here's the strategy. We're gonna get your armies here and we're gonna, I'm gonna pray and God's gonna send. What does he do? He's like, grab the bow and arrows over there. (laughs) What? Like, I thought we were gonna go over blueprints or something here, God. Just, you want me to do target practice? What's this about? Sometimes it just doesn't make sense. So what does he do? He's, I imagine, reluctantly grabs it. He's like, all right, we'll do this thing. He grabs it and he goes, I want you to grab the arrow. I want you to open the window, point it eastward. Okay, get ready. And he's like, okay, this is weird. And then get this. this is, you, you just got to put yourself in the king's shoes here. It says, Elisha then comes up and puts his hand on his hand. Now just picture that. You're, you're, you're posed. All of a sudden, this old 70-year-old prophet, I don't know how he did. He has to probably come around him. Puts his hand on his hand? I mean, just picture how weird this is. If someone walks in, you're like, ah, hey, uh, just cuddle in here with the prophet, you know? Like, what What is this about? I would have walked out the door. I probably would have, I'm not lying. But he he aims it out. He's holding his hand. He probably shared a breath, man. Hey, man, it's good to meet you. He fires it off, and you think, story's over. Okay, I'm going to leave. Somehow this arrow is magic, this and that. No. The story's not over. The resistance is building momentum. He says, I want you to now take these arrows and I want you to strike the ground with them, Joash. And by this time, man, he's like, okay, whatever. He grabs it. One, two, three. I'm done. And what happens? The prophet gets mad. You should have struck five or six times. What? You didn't tell me strike five or six times. You just said strike the ground. If you would have told me strike five or six, I would have done it. Sometimes we don't get clear instruction, right? He gets mad at him. He says, you're listening to the resistance too much. He goes, because you did that, listen, church, you're only going to win three battles instead of all six of them. Do you know what it ends up saying about the life of this King Joash? Not much. There's like a line that says something to the reference of he followed in his father's wicked step, uh, wicked footsteps, and died winning three battles instead of six. The resistance is real, isn't it? Now there's another king. He lived a little over 100 years later. His name's Josiah. Everyone say Josiah. Josiah. 
2 Kings chapter 22. We're going to read the story of Josiah. He takes the kingdom at eight years old. By the time we get to this story, he's 20 years old, which is still pretty young, right? You can make some dumb mistakes at 20, right? You bet, you bet you everyone in the kingdom's got a watchful eye of what, what's he going to do, man? How's he going to mess this up? Josiah becomes king, and during the culture at that time, people are worshiping God. It's fairly common, but the only difference is they're worshiping God and many other gods, okay? So if you were to go into the temple, you know, during Josiah's day, you would see some items for how they worship the God we serve, but then you'll see maybe an Asherah pole or, you know, an altar to Baal and some other gods, you know, all scattered without. And it was like, God's nice, but there's God and these gods. That makes a full life of following there. And this is the context in the life that Josh is living in. He's got no Bible, he's got no scripture, he's got nothing else. He knows of nothing else. And one day he sends his royal secretary and he says, listen, I want you to uh, go collect the money from the temple and just bring it back to me. He does, and while he's there, he stumbles upon the Bible, the scripture, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And he goes, what is this? I have never seen this before in my life. I gotta show the king. He runs back to Josiah, 20 years old. He reads this and he's going through it and it says he begins to weep. Something is reacting in his soul. He tears his clothes. He's like, how could we have not seen this? What, we're so far away from this. How did we get here? What's gonna happen to us? He says, you gotta go find a prophet. Go find a prophetess, anyone who could tell us what's gonna happen. And so they go out and they find this prophetess and they sit down, they go, the king has found this and he's weeping, he's broken. He wants to know what's gonna happen. And you know what she says to him? She says, it's all true. And guess what? Judgment is coming for all you. I would have hate to have been a prophet, man. Can I, <laughs> that would have just been hard. Like, yay, <laughs> Judgment's coming. It's all true. Everything you read, it's all going to happen. But then she says this, but you got to read this yourself. This is what she says. Tell the king of Judah, since he sent you to ask God for direction, tell him this, God's comment on what he read in the book. Because you took seriously the doom of judgment I spoke against this place and people, and because you responded in humble repentance, tearing your robe in dismay and weeping before me, I'm taking you seriously. God's word, I'll take care of you. You'll have a quiet death and be buried in peace. You won't be around to see the doom that I'm going to bring upon this place. Now put yourself in Josiah's shoes. You just got a free pass. Josiah can go back home, go to bed, continue the status quo, and he gets to die in peace, a nice, quiet death. The prophet, prophetess gives no further instructions. She doesn't say, well, if you want to go after more of God, well, then do this, this, and this. There's no clear instruction. If he does anything, it's going to be countercultural. It's going to be really, really difficult to change the culture of worship in Judah. What does he do? What would you do? The resistance is in the room, and it's loud. What does Josiah do? Oh man, I love it. He goes, you know what? I don't care how embarrassing it is. I don't care if people think I'm an idiot or a fool. 
I don't care how hard this is gonna be. I want you to go out, get every idol of every foreign God in any of our temples, and I want you to rip them down, burn them, crush them, take the ashes and scatter them outside of town. And then he gets the people together and he says, listen, I want you to make a commitment with me that we're gonna follow God after our heart, mind, soul, and strength with everything that we have. And the people are like, yes, we will follow that. And he pushed back on the resistance because in his mind, he saw that there was more because we know that God wants for and the greater the resistance, the greater the more. He says, I want more. I want more. Do you know what it says in the end about this king by the name of Josiah? (laughs) Check this out. Read it for yourself. It says, before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might, according to all the laws of Moses, nor did any like him arise after. That's it. That's it, church. Right? We come here this morning. We've got our agenda. We've got our careers. We've got our our houses, our, our family. We've got all of this going for us. I don't want to be famous for any of that. I want at the end of my life to say that. That he was famous for running after God with all his heart. And he didn't care what the resistance said or who said this or if it was embarrassing. He just wanted more. And I think you want that too. But it means you got to fight the resistance. And it's not always easy. All right, I want to wrap this up. Okay, here's the deal. This principle right now is a good principle, okay? You could walk away and you could apply this to a lot of things, even, you know, physical things like working out and all these things. But here's what separates this from just being a good principle into a godly principle. Are you ready? I can leave. I mean, we can just, are you ready? (laughs) All right, check this out. When we get to that place of resistance, And we decide to push back and say, I don't care what it costs, God, I just want more. God begins to fill us up. And what happens, church? It overflows. But get this, you gotta look at this. Where is it overflowing to, church? To others around us. Look at this. Look at this. This is what makes this principle so powerful. Is because God wants for, and the greater the resistance, the greater the, the greater the more, the greater the impact on others. I'm going to say that again for those some of you that are sleeping still. The greater the more, the greater the impact on others. I want you to see this verse, man. This this is going to blow your mind, man. How many of you remember the story when Jesus is sitting with the disciples and he says, uh, "Who do you say that I am? Who what do pe- who do people say I am? Do you remember this?" And Jesus or Peter, I love Peter, man. He's so outspoken. He just says, he says, "You're the son of the living God, the Christ." Do you remember this? And this is what Jesus replies to him. You've probably heard this in Sunday school. You've probably heard this in church, but in a totally different context. Here's what he says. Peter, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
Now, how many of you heard this verse? And it's, I've always heard this in a defensive way, right? Like we're defending the enemy. Like, man, I'm just struggling this week, brother. The gates of hell will not prevail, right? Have you heard it this way? Man, just dep- I'm depressed more. I'm really struggling. Brother, <laughs> the gates of hell will not prevail. I've heard this a thousand times this way. Question. What do gates do? They protect. What do they protect? What's inside? What is Jesus saying is inside? The gate, the hell. He's saying hell itself. Get this. Here's what Jesus is saying. Oh, this is so good. He says, Peter, I tell you, you are Peter. It's going to start with you, and I'm going to pour more on you, and it's going to bubble over, and it's going to go to this thing we call the church. And it's not going to stop there. It's going to bubble over. And it's going to continue to bubble over until it bumps up against the gates of hell. And get this, Peter, get this. It won't be able to hold. (laughs) It won't be able to stand. Because God wants more for everyone. The greater the resistance, the greater the... And the greater the more, the greater the impact on others. I know this to be true because I'm standing here today. Years ago, my great-grandma on her deathbed prayed a prayer, something like this. God, I want more for my family and my kids and my kids' kids. And guess what happened? God did that. And it bubbled out on her sons. And it spilled out past them and it didn't stop. It spilled out on their kids. Pastor Terry and Brenda and Pastor John and Chris. In part, the reason they're doing what they're doing is because of this more that spilled out. But get this, it didn't stop. It spilled out onto them and their kids and their nephews and me. And it's not planning on stopping anytime soon. Because God wants for the greater the resistance, the greater the more. The greater the more, the greater the impact we have on the people around us. Oh, man. Do you see how this is so much bigger than just children are a blessing, right? So there I am. Come on. <laughs> He's pulling his hanky out. <laughs> so there I am. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting in an, an orphanage in, in Haiti. And I'm looking at this boy. And in my head, I'm, I'm working out all of the thoughts that I have. And it's me, my son, Ben, and, and, and myself. But a third person has come in, and his name is The Resistance. And he's whispering. No, no, no. He's He's yelling every reason that I should bail. And get this, church, if I walk away, I'm not sinning. That's the thing about this. You're not going to get struck down by lightning when you leave. Imagine what Joash would have done had he struck more. And there I am contemplating this. You know what happened? Jesus walked in the place. Have you ever had those moments? You know what I'm talking about? I, I wish I could describe it, man. Just something tangible was there. And I'm looking at this poor orphan boy. And it's like Jesus saddled up next to me and he said, Jake, you were that boy. And I never left you. I'll never forget what he said next. 
I wrote it down. It, it, it burned inside of me. He said, if you don't father this young orphan boy, no one will. I broke. Something changed in that place there, in that holy place. And I looked at him with new eyes. I told him, I said, I knew he couldn't understand me. I said, son, I'm so sorry. No one loved you enough to do this for you. Because now I understand it's not just about me. It's not just about God blessing me. It's about God blessing this young orphan boy. And it doesn't stop there. God wants to bless his friends and bless his kids and the generation after him. Do you know what he told me a couple months ago? He said, Dad, I think I want to be a preacher someday. <laughs> I just, I see this, this poor orphan boy who was destined for nothing. And listen, maybe he doesn't become a preacher one day. I hope he does. But even if he doesn't, I know, I know that I know that I know this, that it's going to be really, really difficult to not fall in love with Jesus because he's living in a house and he's part of a church where God is just pouring out more and it can't help but spill out on the people around them. Church, You'll never know, you'll never know what God can do in your life if you always stop short. You never know the potential if you put the arrows back in the sheath. I wanna pray in just a second here, but I wanna ask you this, okay? I gotta, I gotta address this because I understand in a room this size at all of our campuses, okay, that there are genuine hearts and, and couples and parents who say, I want kids, but I know I can't, we can't have it. I know that tension is real, okay? And I'm not minimizing that at, that at all, but I do wanna say this and hear me out of a loving heart here. There are a lot of options, church, and if God's given you that heart, it's not by mistake. You can adopt, you can foster. And if you say, even if that's not your forte or where you wanna move towards, we have a host of kids and youth that are down every week in every campus that we have that need fathers and mothers that can mentor them so that their more spills out onto them. Do you hear me? Is that okay? All right. Do you want more, church? Yes. I want more, man. Let's pray. Father, oh, man, I thank you. Oh, man, I thank you that this is your attitude towards your creation. You, by all means, you could just do your own thing and just leave us be, but you're not. You're invested, and you love us, and you want more for us. Thank you for that, God. I want to pray for three people with everyone's head bowed and eyes closed here this morning. I want to ask if you're here this morning and, and you're a couple and you've contemplated this or maybe it hasn't even been a discussion yet, but you feel something stirring in your heart right now and, and maybe you're halfway through a process or you're trying to have kids or you're, try, you're thinking about that more. I just want to pray a blessing over you. If that's you, would you just raise your hand where you're at at every campus? Just say, that's, yeah, that's me, yeah, yeah. 
Father God, I pray a blessing over your people. God, may you multiply. May you bless, God. And may that blessing overflow. God, you're too good to just keep to ourselves. Bless them, God. I pray you would open wombs that have been closed, God. And those that have had hard times and struggle, I pray all of a sudden the doors would be open, God, right now. God, we want to affect not just us. We want to see it move huge among our people, among this city. Bless them. God, if you're here, guys, and, and, and with everyone's head bowed and eyes closed still, you say, man, just something is stirring in me, Jake. I want more. Maybe you're single, maybe you're married, it doesn't matter, but man, God's stirring something in your heart right now. Maybe you've listened to the resistance long enough. Maybe you've gotten really comfortable in your walk. If you're here this morning, you say, Jake, I just want more. That's all I know right now. That's okay. Start there. If that's you, would you raise your hand? I just want to pray for you. Yeah. Yeah, all across the campuses. Father, I pray for more. Pray for more, God. Pour out your spirit upon your people, God, that we may know of you. As Habakkuk said, God, we've heard of your fame. We stand in awe of your deeds, God. In wrath, remember mercy, God. We want you to be famous in our lives. We want to be known, God, as a people who ran after God with all of our hearts and nothing stopped us. I pray the scriptures would come alive, God, from here on out, that this day would mark a new day as we press forward to more that you have for us. Mm. lastly if you're here this morning and you say Jake I keep hearing you talk about this Jesus but I, I don't know him or maybe you did know him and you've walked away and it's been a long time if you're here this morning you say Jake I want to come home I want to know this Jesus with everyone's eyes closed I don't want to embarrass you I'm not going to bring you up here We're not gonna, I just want to pray for you the prayer that could change everything that's you would you just raise your hand real quick and you could put it down yeah yeah come on it's the biggest listen church a hundred years from now it's not going to matter about your car your house anything the only thing that's going to matter is the answer to that question if that's you here this morning you say that's me i want jesus yeah yeah you can put him down let's pray this prayer together as a church it's, it's really easy. The Bible doesn't complicate it. It says, if you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, then you will be saved. And we're gonna pray this prayer. There's no magic words to it. It's your heart that makes the difference. So let's pray this together as a church. Father God, come on everyone. Father God, we come before you, the God of more. I need you. I want you. I lay my sin and everything down at your cross. You died for me. I want to live for you. Show me how to do this. Teach me your ways. Bless me, God. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's give a hand for those that made a decision. Come on, man. Heaven's partying. You can do it too. Thanks, guys.